What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody, it's Rob Benedict. And Richard Spade Jr. And we're talking about Supernatural Season 3, Episode 5, Bedtime Stories. All right, good night, Rob. <laughs> good night. Good night, Rich. You're going to read me a bedtime story, right? That's yeah, what this is all about? That's exactly right. Hey, first of all, uh, something fun we've been seeing our members on Patreon do is they're scheduling watch-along screenings with each other on Discord so they can watch episodes together before the podcast comes out. Is that true? Hey, that's I'm just reading the facts. But yes, I'm <laughs> literally just, I'm just, the facts to your house, my Steve. I'm, I'm li- literally just the reporter here. <laughs> um, it's funny, like I'm the guy in the street, and you're the guy at the studio. Is that true, Bob? I don't know, Steve. <laughs> this lady in a raincoat says. Um, uh, so there's also been great conversation and fan theories about the Winchesters, especially after. Our appearances on the show. Wait, wait a minute. Spoiler alert. Rob and, and Rich were on the show, on the Winchesters? Apparently. I mean, I know you were. I the new say- hit series from the people who brought you Supernatural, I mean, Jensen Ackles and Danielle Ackles, with That's Robbie right. Thompson heading it up as, as showrunner. That's yes. the Winchesters? And starring Richard Spade Jr. back again as the trickster. The one that airs on the CW? That's right. That just That's aired right. episode eight last two days ago? That's right. Starring Richard Spade Jr. as the trickster. The one and that people that, can watch on the CW app right now. That, that the Winchesters. That that's Winchesters. The one. Oh, man, that's great. So anyway, that's kind of fun that people have been uh, you know, watching this along with us and then also having conversation about the Winchesters. Yeah, and then my band was on. My band, the Loudon Swain, was on this uh, most recent episode. Wait, they're, they're called the Loudon Swain? I didn't know there was an article. Yeah, they're called the Loudon Swain. We used to be but the Loudon Swain. But you now did, we're just the Loudon Swain. You literally said, my band, the Loudon Swain. Did I really? On. Yeah. That's funny. Well, there you go. I like that. I think it's a, I like, I like that sort of,
of change. I actually like Bunt the Loud and Swain. That's a neat yeah, sort of. Maybe we should change it. And then people really won't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> um, anyway, so that was kind of fun to do. More on that later. Unless you have something else you want to say about that, Rich. You're being real quiet and kind of cagey about the whole thing. I just think it's so exciting to know that people can watch the Winchesters on the CW app and catch up on all their favorite shows uh, like the Winchesters. Once a commercial star, always a commercial star. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into this uh, bedtime stories. So tuck yourself in, Rich. I already am, Robbie. And you know, I sleep in the nude. Huzzah! I threw my coffee up. Okay, the cold has been fixed, and Sam and Dean argue about whether to use it on the crossroads demon that Dean has made a deal with. Dean argues that it's all maybes and ifs. Man, I get tired of all the maybes and ifs. So many maybes and ifs. How about a perhaps and a why not? You know, can you mix it up a little bit? Or a but the... They don't know what will happen if they kill the Crossroads demon, but he gets Sam to change the subject to a possible case in Maple Springs, New York. The details point to a werewolf. Where? Maple Springs, New York. Once they get to Maple Springs, they interview the lone survivor of an attack that killed his two brothers. By the way, the three brothers have an intentional resemblance to the three little pigs, but we don't really know that yet. Yeah, man, that's Uh, not, I don't want to be part of that casting call right now. You put out a casting session going, hey, we need three actors to kind of resemble three little pigs and you're canceled. No, I just thought they were three strapping men. Three, you know, just kind of hardy fellas. Really very hardy. They argue about building a house out of wood or brick. One even snorts like a pig when he giggles. Now, all that is true, and I didn't catch any of that. Now, all that went right over my head. I'm Same. just now, in reading this, going, oh, okay. Well, I figured it out, and in, in, they sort of referenced it in the episode, but at the well, time... I, when, yeah, I figured out that the, the three little pigs, and Dean kind of says, like, oh, yeah, they were kind of hefty guys, but I didn't uh, realize there was a snort and a wood and brick thing. No, why is there a frog everywhere? That's the other question. Well, but, uh, we find we'll out. Yeah. yeah. Soon after this, another grim crime occurs. A brother and sister get lost in the woods, and a kindly old woman invites them into her charming yet secluded home. Then she fattens them up with desserts and stabs them with a giant butcher knife. Sounds like a visit to the Spade House in Nashville. <laughs> it sure does. The sister survives, and when questioned by Sam and Dean, reports a creepy kid standing in the window. The only difference is when you come to the Spade House in Los Angeles, you're sliced up by a machete. That's but, true. But otherwise, exactly the same. And also creepy kid count up by one with this oh, yeah. episode, right? Yeah, damn right. The brothers start to notice the parallels between the killings and classic fairy tales. Soon they stumble upon another crime. A woman has been handcuffed and beaten by her wicked stepmother. Oh. At the scene of the crime, Sam sees the creepy kid again and pursues her, but she disappears. Sam and Dean head to the children's hospital to look for the creepy kid. They don't find her, but discover that there is a woman there who has been in a coma since she was eight. Her father is a local doctor who reads Grimm's fairy tales to her by her bedside. She's in a coma because her stepmother was slowly poisoning her to keep her dependent. Living halfway between two worlds for so long, she's mastered the art of taking over other people's bodies and has been acting out the fairy tales to try and get attention. Boy, I mean, she could have just written a note on a chalkboard or something. Yeah, what happened to a little art? You know, a little little watercolor. Yeah. Sam confronts the doctor. Write a song, woman. I know, right? (laughs) Sam, that's what I would have done. Sam confronts the doctor about this, and he admits he has seen his daughter's spirit too. Sam is able to act as a conduit, and the doctor is able to speak to the spirit of his daughter. She confirms (laughs) she was poisoned. He accepts the truth. The woman's body dies, and the spirit is able to move on. Later, while alone, Sam summons the crossroads demon. She says Dean's contract isn't up, 
to her. There is a more powerful demon, her boss, that holds it. Sam shoots her with the Colt, perhaps eliminating his one lead to finding out who holds Dean's contract. I'll tell you who holds Dean's contract. Peter Roth. <laughs> the head of Warner Brothers held that contract. That's right. That's right. He was the uh, head of brother, uh, head of Warner Brothers at the time of this uh, this uh, this episode. So this episode, Rich, thoughts. Let's feelings. get to the portion of the program I call R R R. Rob and Rich, Rich review. review thoughts. I mean, the the idea was clever. You know, like the three little pig thing we just talked about. Yeah, yeah. They sort yeah. of subtly put that yep. in there. And then the frog that we see this recurring frog, and we're like, what's up with the frog? And it turns out it's you know. If Dean were to kiss it, it would turn into the prince. I I, I don't know. I I don't know what the frog was about. I don't. Well, you know, the frog the, issue was never resolved, right? The princess and the frog is a fairy tale, but no, it never gets resolved, does it? No. If Dean just says, "I'm not kissing the frog," but if he would have, it would have turned into says, it would have been turned into prince, the actual the star prince. Yeah, exactly. But that's an expensive episode. Yeah, dude. I I don't know. And then I thought, kind of clever, the old lady in the woods, and mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. she kills the dude and lets the uh, young lady go. Creepy the way that she stabs them. Yeah, very, very. Or she's just aggro. like, eh? yeah, yeah, um, nonchalant. Um, the guy who plays the doctor was really terrific. I see him a lot, dude. He's I recognize that guy. Who's that? Yeah, he's where he's been in a lot of stuff. He's, Do you have any idea what his name is? Christopher Cousins? No, Must was be. that him? He's probably not Sandra McCoy. So yeah. Anyway, uh, he was great. He was great. Did a great job. Yeah. Look, I thought that part of the story was really touching and that like this mm -hmm. dad was being awesome to his daughter and, and yes. you know, I thought that was really sweet how we ended up there, you know? And I, I like the end of the episode with Sam sort of ruthlessly shooting the uh, Crossroads demon. Even even Sam kind of confronting the doctor was was a well-done scene by both actors and, and tough to watch because you're basically like, hey, you're the woman you love yeah. who helped raise your child actually killed your daughter and put her in yeah. this, like catatonic state really. <laughs> although it was, it was kind of funny because he was like yeah sam i mean both of them acted the hell out of that scene but uh sam's like this is gonna be sound crazy but he's like what do you know you don't know anything who are you what are you talking about how'd you get in here get out sam's like this is gonna sound crazy but your daughter's still with us and he's like you saw that too <laughs> <laughs> like he turned so quick so i think we're both leading to the same thing which all of it is very creative the acting is great it just, it just, it left me going, eh. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It was clever. I, I, I kind of think it didn't know if it wanted to be one of the supernatural tongue-in-cheek funny episodes or if it wanted mm -hmm. to be a, a, rip, a gripping drama. And yeah. I think it kind of had a foot in both worlds, so it was neither either. I think it would have worked better in season one. The, 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 the concept was very season one to me, uh, the monster of the week kind of thing in this creative way. But we're kind of deep into this story now, you kind of want to find out more about the story of what is Dean going to die is, you know what I mean? I was right. more intrigued by that last scene with Sam and the crossroads demon than I was by the, the meat and potatoes yeah. of the episode. So I'm going to get, I'm, I'll, I'll go ahead and leap in here just so we can uh, start the process. Cause you know, we've, we've loved so many that we rarely come off of our high watermarks, but I'm not giving this a, a Stableton. I'm not even going to give this a, a, a full Rob Benedict. I'm going to give this a, uh, this gets a Sam Elliott for me. It gets a nice, Healthy mustache. Looks good. But mm -hmm. the rest is just not there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I feel you. <sighs> All right. Okay. So uh, I'm going to give it the uh, the beard and chops with no chin beard that the keyboard player from the band on the Winchesters two days ago had. Tango. Tango. I saw him yeah. in the credits. Yeah. Yeah. It was a musician named Tango. Okay. Yeah. So he gets the tango. 
Uh-huh. If you haven't, uh, if, you, if you don't have a visual reference to what Rob's talking about, go to your CW app. Check right. out uh, the new show, The Winchesters. Go uh, to- episode 108 is uh, just aired, and now it's available on your CW app. Watch the episode. You'll see uh, the musical performer Rob uh, is referring to. And if you want a shortcut, just go to my Instagram page, R.O. Benedict, uh, at Instagram, and uh, I posted a picture of that guy. Yeah, I, I always he- think it's funny that your Instagram <laughs> handle is Ro Benedict. I know, I know. Which was honestly a typo when I first did it. I did it real quick, and I just didn't do the two Bs. Rob row, Benedict. Row, 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 Benedict. Okay, so we get one Tango and one Sam Elliott. Great. Love it. So our guest today is uh, a name that we mention in every episode of our podcast. It's Tim Wynn. What? Yeah, he's worked as a composer in film, TV, and video games. His work has appeared in films such as Horrible Bosses 2 and Freaks. He's written the score for such hit game franchises as Warhammer, XCOM, Madden, Command and Conquer, Marvel's The Punisher, and most recently Marvel's Midnight Suns, which is also rich in my street name. He's provided music to over 80 episodes across all 15 seasons of Supernatural. Ladies, You can't have Winchesters without win. Let's bring in Tim Wynn. Tim, it's great to have you because, uh, you know, we mention your name every episode of our podcast. So, of course, you're intrinsically a part of this process, yes. whether you like it or not. Well, I, I appreciate all the accolades for that. Yes, um, I'm, I'm happy to uh, add, add music for you. Yeah, it's great. It's been awesome. And it really it really makes our show sound like an actual podcast, which is exciting. I know. It's really trippy when you when you hear other things Rob and I have done and then you listen to this one like, oh, wow, music really does help a lot. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> And you are, are, are you zooming in from Los Angeles, California? Are you LA based? Yeah, LA based, yeah. All right. So let's get into it. So how, what was your role on the music team of Supernatural? Uh, so I was an additional composer. So that means, you know, I add here and there. I think over 15 seasons when I was uh, getting ready to go on the podcast, because I'm not always looking looking back. I don't know if you guys are the same way, always kind of looking forward. So someday I'll look back on my career and, you know, uh, total all up. But uh, yeah, so over 15 seasons, I was able to write uh, on over 90 episodes. Wow. Wow. And she, did yeah. you work with both of the composers? Uh, mostly Chris. Uh-huh. Chris and I go way back, e- even with Eric Cripp. You know, we all went to college together. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So we met back back in those days. And that's USC, right? Yeah, USC. So we're talking about the episode Bedtime Stories. Yes. What about Bedtime Stories stands out to you as a, you know, an episode from season three that means something to you? Well, I always had a soft spot in my heart of the uh, episodes that kind of weren't following the script and they were kind of unique and had kind of a twist to them. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I mean, I just, when I was looking at episodes in season three, I just, that one jumped out to me. Yeah. I just thought it was kind of unique and fun and, and uh, you know, silly in a way, but I, I like how it all uh, incorporated the Brothers Grimm stories and, you know, how, how all the supernatural episodes for the most part, they just had a really cool creative thing about it that was like, wow, that's 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 a unique twist on that. So that, that's what I liked. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was super unique in that regard. Rob and I were talking about how there are certain supernatural episodes, to your point, that kind of veer off the traditional straight line narrative that they had been doing during the seasons. But don't steer don't steer too far off as to lose their their point. You know what I mean? Right. Like they still make sense in the story and the overreaching brother's story, and but they just bring a, a sort of an element of, of unique fun. In terms of composing, what's like what's the difference between 
the way you would approach like a standalone Monster of the Week episode versus the heavier mythology episodes? Is there a different character that the music takes on when it's a show, an episode like this, that's sort of this, like you said, a, kind of this quirky, creative bent? Yeah, I mean, this one especially was meant to sound, you know, sort of like a fairy tale. So the music, if you remember it, it's very, pretty much different than any other episode that I, I wrote on oh, wow. for Supernatural because it was supposed to be kind of fairy tale, like a lot of bells and pianos and and. Yeah, you answered my question. I was going to say, what describe to me what fairy tale feels like? And you're saying bells, pianos. What else? Yeah, uh, well, clock and spiel. But the cliche, the cliche is wind chimes, and and Ah. I forgot that. when we record the music and we mix it, it gets mixed by the show creators. So sometimes you put something in and you're like, oh my God, they they made up the, vo- the put up the volume really high. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the wind chimes. <laughs> it's just like, that's like the first cue. It just starts off with this super loud wind chime. So, uh, but it always evokes that sort of fairy tale atmosphere to it. So there's a reason why it's a cliche and uh, it was used here. So welcome to but it does, tr- it does trigger a reaction though, Rob. Like, you know what I mean? Like when you hear those, there are just certain sounds that when you hear them, you immediately know it's a bedtime story or a lullaby or that kind of childlike, yeah. which which can be used obviously for innocence or for creepy effect really, really uh, effectively. Yeah, and, and it really adds some, I mean, go back now, everyone, and, and watch some of these scenes and think about the music. It, it changes, it really informs what you're watching, informs what kind of episode it's going to be, you know, and all these thoughts that we come off going, oh, that was, you know, that kind of episode. The music plays so much a part of that creating that atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think the thing that I I was, it was very apparent to me when I was going to USC and we were in the film scoring part and there'd be 13 episodes. And and so we would score a scene a week and then uh, as students, and we'd all look at what we'd all done. And and there's so many different ways that you could see how every twist and, and turn and how somebody would use a different instrument here or a different note or something and how it would really affect the dialogue, the acting, all these other things like that. So I feel like music really helps the story and we're really telling you what to feel and helping you feel it. And so if if there was a way to turn off the music and watch the, the scene at the same time, you would instantly see, or you would feel it more, more than than hear it. I mean, I've had so many people come to me and say, well, I, I love the movie and it, it was so emotional and this and that. Um, I don't know if I, I didn't think about your music or this or that, but it, you did. You subconsciously thought about it because you felt that emotion. So I'm telling you to cry. I'm telling you to be right. scared. I'm telling you to all, all of these things as the music. So, but it's, you know, it's a collective collaborative effect so it's like when 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 the actors do a great job it makes my job easier and 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 the scene and if the script is great so it's all part of the process let me ask you this there's a there's sort of that old adage that if you notice the camera work or you notice the editing it's not doing its job you you, you know what i mean like like what you just described is it should all feel like an oil painting not oh there's the color red you know what i mean like you're you're just you're seeing the work you're not as do you think music works in that same capacity? Yeah, 100 uh, percent. I think this the same thing. I mean, we we talk about it all the time as composers where if we get noticed, then nine times out of ten, it would be a bad, a bad thing. Um, so when I'll read a review of a film I work on and uh or a TV show for that that matter, and then they they just talk about you know, the emotion or this or that. They didn't mention the music, but they talk about how effective it was emotionally and stuff like that. So as long as I'm staying out of the headlines, I feel like I've done something right. So, yeah. I have a question that I never really knew the answer to. So when you, you said earlier that you hear the final mix and the wind chimes are up and you're like, oh, wow, they really, you know, focus on the wind chimes. 
when you turn in, when the composers turn in your product, do you give the sound mixers the the stems? So yes. in other words, the different parts of the what you recorded the music. So they they actually remix your composition. In a way, for Supernatural, we only had four stems. So there's not too much that you can do with four stems. So oh. four stereo stems. So that's eight tracks in total. So it would be strings would be on one stem, or all the orchestra would be on one stem, the percussion would be on one stem. The piano would be on one stem and maybe some sound effects would be on the other stem if there was like creepy strings or something like okay. that. So, but if there was something very specific that I knew that they would like to be altered up or down for one thing, I would put it on a separate stem. For, for the most part, they have those to work with because you can't, unlike a film, you can't sit there all day and remix it. You don't have that. There's just not time for it in TV. Right. I mean, the schedules are brutal. And so you have to kind of get it right as a composer right out of the gate. Right. And so that's that's why it's it's very important. And it's it's a great skill to learn that, you you, you know, you have to be near perfect from day one. And I think uh, what Chris and Jay both did on this show was really perfect from day one. I mean, right. it sounded from episode one to episode 15, 20, or whatever the last episode was. I mean, it just, it had this consistency to it and it was really great. And so for me being just a part of it, it was just, it was an amazing experience, so. Okay guys, hold on. We're coming right back. You can sense it calling out to you. New reality seeks you. Join the journey to save Anomaly. Place where sound is magic. The only way to enter the world is by looking inward. Along the way, you'll learn potions, chants, and enchantments that will help you both in that reality and yours. So, answer the call and let your campaign begin. Featuring the voices of Ruth Connell from Supernatural and Dead Boy Detectives. There are ordeals ahead, yet with guidance, you will face them head on without fear. Todd Stashwick from Star Trek Picard and Twelve Monkeys. When the time arrives, wherever your journey takes you, be there with no attachments. And R&B singer N.C. Gray. There are worlds, realms dimensions and realities beyond yours anomaly is a role-playing meditation podcast that takes you into a world of magic and fantasy you'll be invited to imagine yourself in scenarios such as learning to cast a tranquility spell or exploring a land vanquished by a dragon but all connected by a shared mythology the goal of guided fantasy role-playing meditations are to help you cultivate a sense of wonder, curiosity, balance, and joy in your inner world. Role-playing meditation is a form of escapism and relaxation, as well as a creative outlet for the imagination. The first campaign is an introduction to the world of Anomaly, its lands, magic, and secrets. In the eight chapters, you'll stretch your imagination, learn to center yourself, Offer forgiveness, find confidence, relieve stress, and stop racing thoughts. Your true self will emerge, allowing you to manage your goals and dreams without confusion, distrust, or self-doubt. 
You can find it on Spotify, Apple and wherever you listen to podcasts. Or visit SeekAnomaly.com to learn more. Anomaly spelled with an I-E, not a Y. Seek Anomaly. Hear its magic. And we're back. Let me ask you a question. Having gone out in the world and worked on other shows, my opinion on this is even broader than it had been when I was simply acting. But, you know, when you're looking at a show or a movie, but we'll talk about a show in this case, and you're thinking about you or thinking about where does music go? Sometimes the answer is there should be nothing here, right? Like sometimes you're like, this needs to be dry and we'll, we'll go without music. But at the end of the day, you you have your opinion, but somebody else cutting the checks really decides these things. Do you ever find yourself lobbying for less or more and finding that to be a challenge? Not in sync. Yeah, a challenge. Yeah, I mean, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I like to say and I think I heard it. Uh, one of our instructors, Elmer Bernstein at, at USC, I think he mentioned that silence is its own music. You know, an absence of music is is music. Wow, that's well said. Yeah. That's really cool. I wish I could take credit for it, but uh, I give it to Elmer. But uh, that, that, that up-and-comer Elmer Bernstein said it. Yeah, that, that guy, you know, all these <laughs> Academy Awards and, and things like that. So, so yeah, so there are times that you fight it, but you quickly learn that you just you can't fight the machine and you do the, the best you can. And when where music comes, if you really feel strongly about it, and I have done it, if it's a super important scene where I will write an alternate and say, listen, director or producer, or whoever it is I'm talking to, I'm like, I really feel like it could be better if we start the music later or here or this. And 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 for the most part, throughout the years, they've been very receptive and re- you know respectful to my opinions. Right. But if they have in their head, they want a piece of music there, you you got to give it to them in the best way that you possibly can and, and agree or not agree. You got to make it work some way or another. Or, you know, I remember I did a movie and there was two directors. So that's sometimes kind of hard to deal with because they can disagree. Most of the time they would agree, but there would be a time where there's a scene that they're like, no, it should be this way. And the other one was like, no, it should be this way. I go, look, I'll I'll do it both ways. And then you guys can flip a coin. We can both agree so you can see it both ways. And then and then that's what it is. Wow. And you make them both happy. And, and I can't do that for every single scene. I mean, you can't. It's impossible to do that. But for specific scenes to make sure that both directors are they feel like they're respected and heard and listened to, that I'll do that. Sure. I was just going to say, I love about filmmaking in general, that it's such a collaborative process. You know, I mean, even the Scorsese's and Spielberg's, they've got they've got composers that they love and trust and cinematographers they love and trust, you know, that that's it's a complete it's not just a one man operation. It's, it's a complete team without the team. It doesn't work. Oh, and absolutely. And, you know, you bring up, you know, some of the all-time greats and the the process compared to now was completely different back then. You know, they would listen to piano sketches and they wouldn't have it all synced up perfectly. They wouldn't be watching quick times on their iPads or, or things like that and giving notes. I mean, they, they would have to go to the scoring stage with really not knowing what was going to come. And I think in a lot of ways that it was not, I don't want to say better, but it was- More exciting. Well, more exciting because there, there's nothing like, even when I, I'll have- something that I wrote for orchestra and I have it all mocked up and it sounds pretty good for orchestra and against a scene. But when you have a live uh, orchestra perform it, it's just like, it, there's something that I'm like, Oh my God, this is so much better. I love it. It sounds amazing. And so I think they had back there, it was the same thing. All they heard were these piano sketches. And then you hear like, say the Jaws theme, for instance, 
the her first time you heard it, uh, Spielberg heard it, you're like, oh my God. Yeah. And you're just blown away yeah. by, and you're part of this experience. So it was a better process in and in some some way it was more difficult and more costly i'm sure but uh it, it was it was something about it that the collaborative effort with the orchestra is also a, an entity you know because yeah the, we don't always think about the musicians that perform the string players and the and, yeah. yeah string players they add so much yeah. and and you know you want them to be able to have their voice as well and uh so that's part of the process that that we don't have anymore because there are so many cooks in the kitchen and there's not as much trust as like hey trust me when we get to the scoring stage you're gonna love it i mean if you have to have a really good situation with your directors and producers and composers because it's like it's kind of like the same things like all right let's not have a table read you know, before, right. before the episode, they're like, Hey, don't worry. I've got this. I mean, yeah. the, you know, that's not really how it works anymore. Right. So, uh, well, that used to be cinematography too. There were no monitors right. like directors right. would describe the scene to the cinematographer. He'd be watching it through an eyepiece and that's it, man, because right. there was no way to watch it on an external monitor. Mm -hmm. You're watching it be shot. Mm -hmm. And that's why they were called dailies. Cause you'd see them later that day or the next day mm -hmm. or whatever. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and sketching and everything that goes into the process is, is really you know, like every frame is planned out so specifically. So sometimes movies or TV shows can feel mostly movies because they, they have the time to, to kind of do that effort. Sometimes it feels it can feel a little, little less lively than maybe the old films and shows and things like that. To my, in my opinion, maybe. Mm -hmm. Right. So just because it, there was everything was planned out, and then it just like it, you know, look at the Star Wars, like the original Star Wars versus the, the remakes that you know George Lucas did, and it just it had a different quality to it. It wasn't. I don't want to say it was worse, but it just didn't have like a spontaneity to it or mm. some, something to it. Mm -hmm. so, so right. Yeah. I don't disagree. I have one other question that's specific to you and your experience with Supernatural. When you're talking about doing additional orchestration for the show and doing 80, which is or 90, which is an unbelievable number, but it's not it's not exactly half, meaning you were doing so how did you schedule your life around your work on Supernatural? Because it was, it seems like it wasn't necessarily set your watch to it work. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, it just kind of depended on schedule. I mean, it, it's hard and and you guys as actors go through it and everybody as creatives, we're always trying to get our schedules just lined up the way that we want to and 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 service all the people that were so happy that hire us all the time. So there's times that I, I couldn't work on Supernatural. <clears throat> and so that's been on through the years. So it just... It just depends on your schedule. Like how how much right. can I bear? Because you you want a good work life balance. And starting back when Chris asked me to be part of the mix, I didn't know it was going to go for fifteen seasons. And we <laughs> had no idea. It's kind of yeah. you know, it's just like okay, well, we'll see how long it goes. We weren't even thinking about it. We were just thinking about well, what's what's best. Well, we're all friends with Eric. All we want is, is success to the show. We we wanted to help tell his story, mm -hmm. and right. an amazing story it was. So that's all we really were focused on is is doing that. So, you know, you fit in things when you can. Sometimes I would skip out and I can't I couldn't work on those episodes or or whatever like that, but we were always in in discussions about what would be best for the show. How much advance notice would you get when you were going to work on one? Well, once you started the season, we would get a master calendar of when it would work on or when the episodes would roughly happen. So we kind of knew right away uh, when it was going to happen. So if, if I had another project that I couldn't be a part of Supernatural, then I would say I'm, I'm out for this week or I can't do it here and there. So it just kind of depended on it. I'm trying to think back for the from the 15 uh, seasons of all the 
the things that that came up or if uh, you know i had a child or you know, yeah. you know that happened i had two yeah. children during the the things and then chris did as well so i mean a lot of you know life you know yeah. just it, it happened and, and so that's the thing about tv and and where i think that i was brought in was just because you, you don't have a lot of leeway i mean I, I learned quickly on another show where you can write good music you can write bad music but you have to write music there's no time for writer's block there's no time for anything like that and and there would be an occasion where I would write something that I wasn't necessarily proud of. And I was like, well, I only had very short time to work on it, but I had to turn it in so the executive could look at it. Right. And there's sometimes the cues that I, I took the least amount of time on, I would get the notes back where, oh my God, this is the best cue you've ever written in your life. And it's amazing. And and what have you. So so you sometimes you just have to put it all in perspective and some ideas are good and bad and, and you got to know which is which is a good ones and bad ones. And, and when it comes to writer's block in TV, you don't really have time for it. So uh, it's easier to adjust a bad cue than it is to just stare at a blank page and go, I don't know what I'm going to write. You, you can't, you just, you have to write it. And if it's terrible, you know, come back to it later the day and you're like, oh, okay, I understand with a fresh sort of voice to it or the next day and then and then adjust it accordingly. It's, it's much easier that way. With this episode with uh, Bedtime Stories, there's a shift at the end. There's a scene where, where Sam's with the Crossroads demon. Yes. And that's obviously a different thing than the the fairy tales that we've been watching. Is there creatively do you go okay this is a gear shift here so it's going to be a completely different kind of music in this scene that we've been doing the rest of the episode yeah absolutely i mean i think i think the episode the fairy tale stuff that ended you know as soon as the little girl died right that was almost like little all right let's pause before the break and then you know have have a coda at the end with with the demon and then that the demon music was all you know so much different that was more of the story arc that goes throughout right. season three right uh sort of stuff like that so yeah absolutely it's just a total switch which is such a cue to the viewer the viewer's brain really going like oh okay so this is this is this the through line you know what i mean it really it, right. it cues yeah. it cues your the audience's brain and makes you go oh, okay this is what i'm watching here story-wise it adds so much yeah. i mean it's really amazing yeah. No, no. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's, uh, and, uh, we were so happy. We loved the, there's a, an ethnic instrument we use called a duduk to it. And it has like this quality of spiritual sort of evilly sort of quality to it. And that's playing through it. And, uh, the great Chris Bleth played on that for, for duduk and, and, uh, oh, wow. he did an amazing job and it really, I think it helped tell the stories of the demons and, and hell and, and things like yeah. that. Yeah. So, awesome. What do you, how do you spell that? Duduk? Duduk is D-U-D-E. Okay. Okay. I got to look that up. Never heard of that instrument. Yeah. 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 It's a, you know, Passion of the Christ. It was in that movie. I mean, uh, okay. a lot of different movies, but it, once you hear it, you can't unhear it. Huh. Wow. <laughs> you, you, uh, you'll, you'll start to, and that's the thing I think that I don't know how you guys are when you're watching other film and TV shows is it's hard for us not to always be working. Right. And so when I'm watching a movie, I'm always thinking about the score. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about that. And so I always feel like I'm 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 working. So it, it's the same thing with instruments, you know, uh, things like that. So it's like we never have a, a day off. Yeah. You know, if you're always right. if you're always watching your shows, if you're always doing that, you, you can't relax. So yeah. it's like you got to do something totally, totally different at the end of the day to kind of like just clear your mind. Yeah. Enter ice fishing. <laughs> I know what you mean. Tim, thank you so much for being a part of the show. I mean, you're a part of the show every single week yeah. because you're our composer for Supernatural then and now, but also, gosh, an integral part of Supernatural for its 15-year run, man. Thank you for coming in and, and bringing your, your stories and personality to our podcast. Yeah, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Tim Wynn. Absolutely. Appreciate you. 
This is Jared Padalecki stopping in to say hi and let you know that we've got to take a quick break. Thanks. Hey guys, it's Rob. So check this out. I'm very pleased to announce that we have a new super sponsor. That's right. Marvel Strike Force. So Marvel, the one and only Marvel, has a mobile game. And it's a comic book fan's dream. Marvel Strike Force is it's a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. So, okay, so your goal is to power up your favorite characters and you complete missions and then you unlock fun stuff like gear and other resources and then you beat other players in a PvP, player versus player mode, such as Alliance War or Real-Time Arena. So as we, as I record this, they're enjoying their six-year anniversary. So you know what that means? Free stuff. Free stuff, just for signing up via the unique link in the description. So the anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. So make sure you log in every day, each week, you take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code for every new user, so please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. All right. Thanks once again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Listening. Now, back to the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a brand new segment to premiere for you all, and this could be a home run or it could be a strikeout. We don't know, but we're going to give it a go. We call it Stand Theater. All right, Rich, why don't you tell the people what this is going to be? This is an actual scene from Supernatural. Mm -hmm. Dialogue as written by a professional writer, word for word as spoken by Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester, Jensen Eccles as Dean Winchester, only now the roles are being played by two different performers, mm. Rob Benedict in the role mm. of Dean mm -hmm. and Richard Spate in the role of Sam. Now, this doesn't mean that Rob Benedict has to do his spot-on Jensen imitation. It means I'm doing the Rob Benedict interpretation of what... Whatever you... Yeah, whatever yeah. comes to mind, whatever buddy. Whatever comes to mind. And then uh, the only reason that he's cast as Sam is because he's taller than me. Exactly, and I have uh, long flowing hair. True. And um, what's... Is this episode from... Bedtime the, stories. It's a it's okay, the very episode great. we are right. reviewing. Okay. It takes place in the old lady's home. It's a scene okay. in the old lady's home. Now listen, Trey Booty's gonna put a lot of cool, like yeah. ambient sound right yeah. now, and maybe in some yeah. footsteps. Sorry, Trey, it's made your job harder. Uh -huh. It's gonna be it's gonna be like you're listening to a sound clip okay. from Supernatural. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the very first segment yes. of Supernatural Then and Now Theater. Yeah. Fade in, interior, old lady's home, day. Yeah, it's going nuts. When I went over here by the window, there's definitely a spirit here. Yeah, who stood outside the crime scene and watched. Looks like. What the hell do you make of that? Actually, I do have a theory. Uh, sort of. Hit me. Well, thinking about fairy tales. Oh, that's, that's nice. You think about fairy tales often? No, Dean. I'm talking about the murders. A guy and a girl hiking through the woods 
an old lady tries to eat him. That's Hansa and Gretel. And then we got three brothers arguing how to build houses. Attacked by a big bad wolf. Ah, oh, the three little pigs. Yeah. Actually, those guys were a little chubby. Well, wait. I thought those things ended with, uh, everybody living happily ever after. No, not the originals. See, the Grimm Brothers stuff was kind of the folklore of its day. Full of sex, violence, cannibalism. Now it got sanitized over the years, turned into Disney flicks and bedtime stories. So what, you you think the murders are, uh, what, a uh, reenactment? <laughs> That's a little crazy. Crazy or what? Every day of our lives? Touché. How's the creepy ghost girl involved? Uh, well, she, she must have been here for a reason. I'm willing to bet you top dollar she was at the construction site, too. Uh, we gotta do research now, don't we? I'm gonna shrug now. Shrug! Sam shrugs and scene. It was like watching the show. I don't know how you guys yeah, felt. It was like yeah. unbelievable. I don't know if the segment's going to work because it's basically just like it's watching the scene from the show. Yeah, it's exactly like having Jared and Dinda come in and reenact yeah. it. It's almost right. pointless. Um, yeah. But also, you know what, Rich? It showcases, it showcases your and my acting ability. It certainly does. I will also say this. We took a uh, one-minute scene and made it seven minutes. So. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we, know how to, we, uh, we know how to milk a cow. Maybe, we, Ladies maybe. and gentlemen, thank you for being involved in our very first segment, very first performance of the Supernatural Then and Now Theater Fake Applause. Stan Theater. Uh, you know, I think we, um, I think, I think it might work. And every time we do different voices. That was funny. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Rob, your voice is pretty funny. You can stick with that. It's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll switch it up, but that was good. All right, well, let's get into the next segment, which is one you know and love, and it's called Mythology. Mythology, mythology, hey, hey, mythology. Grimm's Fairy Tales, originally published in 1812 under the title Children's and Household Tales. It was a German collection of fairy tales by Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm. You mean Wilhelm? <laughs> Wilhelm? Uh, the original volume contained 86 tales. Subsequent volumes were published and brought to the total number of stories and brought the total number of stories to over 200. The original volume wasn't intended for children and was more reflective of the oral stories that had been passed down. It was originally intended to preserve these stories. The original included stories such as The Children Played at Slaughtering and The Children of Famine. Aw, cute. (laughs) (laughs) All right, night-night. Um, as the book became more popular, the brothers continued to revise the stories to make them more broadly appealing. So much so that the final volume published in 1857, 45 years after the first, barely resembled the original. Kind of yeah, like you, you after think? all the work you've had done. <laughs> but seriously, imagine being the publisher back in the late 1800s. Like, so listen, um, Wilhelm with Jacob, can we pull back the darkness? Just I like that. I like I like that. So I uh, I had the old uh, whale blubber uh, lantern going last night. I was reading a little <laughs> bit of your work. Uh, I've been thinking about this for about a fortnight. And <laughs> yeah, uh, and it, it, what's weird is it's a bedtime story, and I can't sleep. <laughs> Scared me awake. 
Uh, the children played at slaughtering. That's hilarious. Well, the publication inspired a cultural heritage movement across Europe for other collections of tales told in the oral tradition to be gathered and published. And what's amazing is that we're still reading those stories, the, obviously the watered-down, nice versions, to our kids today. It's true, man. I mean, those have really stood the test of time. Even even however much they've been altered, they're pretty pretty amazing. Okay, Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Munchausen syndrome is a disorder in which someone fakes an illness in order to get attention or sympathy. When done by proxy, it's pretending your dependent has an illness or is sick. So it's a form of abuse. Oh man, I always wondered what it meant by proxy. So if you have Munchausen syndrome, I have Munchausen syndrome. I'm going to drink this coffee until I get sick so that Rob will come over and like check in on me. By the way, good luck having that ever happen. I could drown in a pool of coffee and Rob wouldn't cross the street. But regardless, the point is for this I was going to say that was last Friday, but go ahead. <laughs> point is, I damaged myself with this uh, handmade M. Crow ceramic mug on purpose to get attention. That's Munchausen syndrome. Munchausen right. syndrome, syndrome by proxy is Rob keeps damaging me with this M. Crow ceramic mug in order to feel like he has to continue to take care of me. Or I slowly poison your coffee. <laughs> In this Imcro ceramic mug. Right. Made from Wallawa Lake clay, available on the website imcrocompany.com. Oh, wow. We're really, <laughs> really crossing our urine streams here. So it wouldn't work for me and you because I, I, <laughs> I don't. We think... both with each other dead? <laughs> yeah, we both just be dead. Uh, Munchausen syndrome is named after a German cavalry officer named Baron von Munchausen, who lived during the 1700s. And there's a movie. Called Baron von Munchausen, right? The Adventures of Baron von Munchausen. And it was directed by... Uh, Terry Gilliam, I believe. Terry Gilliam, that's great. The same man who directed uh, lots of great movies. The Fisher King, that Monty Python did. But Baron von Munchausen was a man who traveled widely and was known for his exaggerated tales and untruthful stories. In 1951, when Richard Asher started to diagnose this form of abuse, he remembered Baron von Munchausen and his exaggerated exploits and decided to name the condition after him. That's that's not a great legacy there for old Baron von Munchausen. But also for Richard Asher. Like, who is Richard Asher? No idea. Who's Munchausen? Oh, I know exactly who that is. Like, Asher really backed the wrong horse. You're right. He could have named it the Richard Asher Could have been the Dick Asher syndrome by proxy. Uh-huh. <laughs> Or by Dixie. I mean, it, it, yeah, he really dropped the ball. He like he does not live in infamy, but the but Munchausen. I always wondered why it was called Munchausen, and if it had anything to do with the Baron von Munchausen of that movie, and it does, and that's crazy. Yeah. So we are just finding this out as well as many of you, I should think. All right, it's time for fun facts. Fun facts, fun facts, fun. I love getting facts. Jared Padalecki got to work with Sandra McCoy, the Crossroads demon, uh, one other time. He originally worked with her on the film Cry Wolf. So wait, did did Cry Wolf come before Supernatural? I guess so. Okay. Yeah. So he worked with Sandra McCoy on Cry Wolf and then working with her again here. I guess, yeah, this is his first scene with her because before him was just Dean. Huh. Well, is it, it's a great scene. Obviously, there's good chemistry between the two of them. That's magic. When the three brothers are attacked in the opening, they are each standing next to materials representing what the three little pigs used to build their houses. Wow, I completely missed that. Yeah, the first is attacked near a pile of pipes representing the straw house of the first little piggy. You know the old thing. Give me that bale of pipes. Why? why <laughs> how does straw. pipes? <laughs> I don't how know. does pipes represent a straw house? I don't know, man. That's a reach. <laughs> um I'm gonna, honey, it's hot outside. Where's my pipe hat? <laughs> I want to block the sun. 
Okay. And the second brother? You know, the old hillbilly's over there chewing on a little piece of pipe. Hey, we don't have any straw. It's okay. We'll just throw some pipes in there. Huh? <laughs> uh, okay. The second the brother, second brother is, is near a wood structure representing the wooden house of the second little piggy. That okay. Makes that sense. makes sense. Yeah. And the third brother has to go to the bathroom, and and he's going wee wee wee. So no. when, he, when he goes to take a tinkle, he's going wee no. wee wee all wee, the way wee, home. Wee. No, the no. third brother hides near a stack of cinder blocks, which is supposed to be bricks. Why wouldn't it have just been bricks? I'm confused by this. I don't know. No wonder I didn't get it because it didn't make any sense. And it, I am also kind of annoyed there was no wee wee weeing. <laughs> <laughs> you, you wee wee wee. You just go wee 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 all the way home. Hey, I'm including yeah. you, aren't I? Wee wee wee. I'm not saying me me me. Oh, why Why was it pipes and cinder blocks? It could have been straw and bricks, and then I would have gotten it. Then we were, Because they were they were thinking that their audience was uh, smarter than you and I are, and you're, they're probably right. Yes. Probably everybody else got it, and you and I were like, duh. And the frog. We never got the frog. Somebody needs to kiss the frog. Yeah, maybe that was a WB reference because the show used to be on WB. Maybe it was a reference to the WB frog. The WWB. That's right. I, I was remembering that there was a Simpsons joke years ago when the WB was a network and they had the Michigan J Frog. You know, Homer's watching the TV and uh-huh. Michigan J Frog comes out and goes, It's on the WWWB, another show that no one will see. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and then the frog walks off to Jake. <laughs> the surviving victim of the attack on the three brothers, Kyle, and his doctor, Dr. Garrison, both share names with characters from Comedy Central's South Park. Uh-huh. Ah, wouldn't have gotten that. I didn't know Dr. Garrison was a character there but i didn't know uh, i i didn't know kyle i guess kyle but kyle you know kyle look we might have had uh sort of not the best reviews of the show but this podcast has been very enjoyable and it's it's clever full beard uh it is a clever episode of tv the problem is we hold supernatural to a high standard any other show that pulled off what they pulled off in this episode would have gotten a wonderful uh bushy reviews but you know look supernatural's knocked out so many balls out of the park that when it's a triple, we're like, meh. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And look, it's it's we're also used to these days, we're used to watching seasons that are seven to 12 episodes long. And with a, a show like Supernatural, well, this this season has like 17 episodes or something, but normally they have about 22, 20 to 22 episodes. So you're going to have filler episodes that don't necessarily follow the plot of what the through line is. And the through line of this season, I'm just very involved in it. I'm like, I want, I want to go back to that, you know? Um, so I remember watching these in real time, watching episodes, uh, seasons like this and going, and then you get to a, this kind of episode and you're like, ah, get, get back to the, the the meat and potatoes of what what's going on, you know? Yep, I hear you. But uh, that being said, like you said, it's always good. It's uh, Supernatural. Hey, it's Jared and Jensen. They make good TV. Yes, they do. All right, we'll see you next time, everyone. Yeah, we will. Join Patreon. In the meantime, we'll see you on Patreon. And now here come the credits. This episode of Supernatural features Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester and Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester. Guest stars included Sandra McCoy, Christopher Cousins, Ava Hughes, and Maxine Miller. Bedtime Stories was written by Catherine Humphreys and directed by Mike Roll. Editing by Tom McQuaid. Music by Christopher Leonards. Executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer. This episode originally aired on November 1st, 2007. This episode of Supernatural Then and Now is hosted and executive produced by Richard Spade Jr. and Rob Benedict. Produced by Stephen Hine, written by Stephen Hine and Hayda Holscher, as in, it rhymes with hate, like, I hate it when you guys mispronounce my name for two seasons. And edited and associate produced by Trey Booty. What's that, baby? Music provided by Tim Wynn. He was our guest. That's right. This episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios. This podcast is from Story Mill Media. Follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter, won't you? At SPN Then and Now. 
and become a member of the podcast at patreon.com slash SPN then and now. By the way, do you notice what uh, producer Steve did there? He said, another grim crime. Yeah, ah. yeah, yeah. Ah. She confirms she was a poisoned. She was a poisoned. She confirms <laughs> she was poisoned. She, he accepts the truth. She was poisoned by an Italian. <laughs> she was a poison. She was a poison. Story Mill Media. 